the uh, folk who have been most instrumental in my life in the role of, uh, of uh, father. I think of my own dad, of course, uh, and his influence on me in terms of uh, example of husband and father and pastor, uh, which is uh, you know probably about 90% of what I think of most of the time when I have some sort of a decision to make. And uh, I, I know how fortunate I am, even as I approach 40 and he is uh, in his early 70s, uh, to have the opportunity when I have a question for him to be able to give him a call and, uh, and ask him what he thinks of a particular situation. I think of other folk uh, who have been significant uh, to me who I can't do that with anymore. I think of my father-in-law who went on to be with the Lord just last October, and then both of my grandfathers who were uh, alive uh, through the time I was, uh, through, through my, both my grandfathers were at my wedding, uh, which is uh, very, you know, unique. Uh, I wasn't married until I was almost 26, and uh, both of them uh, met my boys, um, so I have, I have so much to be thankful for in terms of the, uh, ju just the overflow of godly men that I have had in my family, and uh, I continue to, uh, to be encouraged and inspired by their example. Uh, so I give thanks to God for that. So whether, whether uh, your father is still with us here on earth or not, I'm hopeful today that you'll have an opportunity to express thanks to God for your own father and trust most, uh, most uh, certainly in the promise of uh, care that the Heavenly Father has provided us each day of our lives and continues to provide us uh, to this point. Oh God, we do thank you for our fathers this day. We pray for those who fill that role even at this very moment. Uh, in our own uh, in our own families, or maybe ourselves, that we would be fathers who love our children and uh, and love the Lord. Lord, for those without fathers, we do pray again that uh, they would be made aware of your great love and care for them. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, at the risk of pigeonholing the story too much, I thought today I'd consider probably what is one of the top two or three favorite stories of every, and again, I'll, I'll tread on thin ice here, of every little boy in Sunday school. At least all of my friends who grew up at <coughs> Judson Baptist Church love the story of David and Goliath. Of course, as a young person, you imagine yourself in David's role, kind of this underdog, this one that just in the chapter before had been overlooked by his own dad. You'll remember the prophet Samuel comes to the home of Jesse in Bethlehem, and he says, the Lord has led me to you to anoint the next king of Israel. And a group of Jesse's sons come before Samuel and the Spirit of God says to Samuel, it's not this one, it's not this one, it's not this one. And finally Samuel asks Jesse, is there any more? Jesse, oh yeah, there's David. He's out in the fields with the sheep. His own dad didn't think that there was any shot 
that David could be the anointed king of the people of God. And then David, he he has this uh, uh, meteoric rise from the shepherd to the the throne, from from the fields to the throne. Shepherd, staff to the crown. Key element of that, and maybe the best known story in all of David's life, is the one from 1 Samuel 17. It is a lengthy one. We're not going to read it all. We're going to read chunks of it here in, in just a moment. But we think of this, this young shepherd boy with nothing but a sling and five smooth stones. The idea that David, little David, pegged Goliath with nothing but that makes the story all the more dramatic. However, the main reason that we identified with David as the underdog, and better yet, that God seems to to side with the underdog, drew us to that story. And so I will, like I said, list the verses up here on the screen and read them now for you. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. Suffice it to say, Goliath was a big guy with a lot of armor. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against you and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and again with the sheep, left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them, as he talked with him, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. I like how David says that past tense, even though it sounds like that day he was keeping sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. 
And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So this shepherd really looks like a shepherd as he goes out to battle. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And David said, and the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into the for to his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. It's very likely that you have considered this story, and I too, as the ultimate account of the underdog winning. When it comes to March Madness and basketball and the tournament, I'm usually cheering for one team who is ranked relatively high in the Jayhawks, but other than that, I'd always want the lower-seeded team to win. I think there is something within the fabric, even if I could be uh, so sweeping in the fabric of America that makes us relate to the underdog. Back in 1776, we would have had not a shot in terms of our likelihood to overthrow the British who ruled and to become a free country. Well, we're working on nearing 250 years of having established and maintained our independence. And so I think we kind of have this sense a part of who we are resonates with the underdog. Movies love the story of the underdog. The beat up, downtrodden bunch of losers who somehow overcome the, the reigning state champions to, to take uh, the trophy. 
It's the way the storyline always goes, too. Even though we, we have this sense within us that we know how it will happen, the, the drama of a, of a good movie and a good movie writer, when, when it looks like all the odds are stacked against them and, and the basketball team or the football team or, or whatever it is, the individual, we know they're going to win in the end. But what, what a disappointment it would be if, if all the, the basketball team in the movie, the, 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 the losers in the movie had to do was, was sink the free throw at the very end to win it, and it clanged off the rim. You know, oh, what a waste of an hour and a half. We know how it's going to end, but there's still something about seeing the underdog win. In fact, this story even, I think probably from this story, has a phrase has developed the bigger they are the harder they fall right you all you all knew it before i even completed it there's one problem though i hate to do this to us there's one problem though with this interpretation of this story viewing david as the underdog i would say is not quite accurate it's hard for me to admit this. In fact, though, in many ways, David was not the underdog at all. I would suggest that there were three main reasons. Let's see if I can do this. First off, David was prepared. David, although in comparison to Goliath, was a fairly little guy, and even in comparison to his brothers, he may have been a fairly little guy. He was scrappy. He was tough. In scripture, he gave his own resume as he explained to Saul while he, why he should be the one to go and fight. He said, as I was out in the field, back when I was a shepherd, if there was a lion or a bear that came after one of my sheep, I took care of them. I've had fights before where the person or the animal was bigger than I was, and I won. He was courageous. He was a young guy who knew what it was to come against high odds, come against maybe something where he appeared to be the underdog and come out on top. He was smart enough to identify Goliath's weakness. As he looked back at God's faithfulness to him, he was prepared to go out and fight Goliath, who he knew was over-arrogant and cocky. His faith in God, his faith in God's ability to give him victory, and in his measly little sling was all that he needed to prepare. The second thing was that David remained true to himself. Saul tries to load him down with all of this armor. And David knew immediately that he would be lost out there, loaded down with all that extra weight. That extra weight in some ways may represent to us or for us the, the pretenses of the world. In other words, in, in our sense at times that we need to be something other than we are. That us plus God is somehow not quite enough. David realized that he had to be himself. He had to play the way he always had. He had to, for, for a way overused 
a phrase. He had to dance with the one who brung him or something like that, right? That, that God and, and the way God had equipped him to that point had been sufficient and it would be again. Advanced weapons of the world, and in this case, King Saul was trying to give him, were not his ticket to victory. He had to trust his own instincts in knowing that he was not alone. That brings us to the third reason that David was likely not the underdog and the one that was most important. And that is that David indeed was not alone. That it wasn't David against Goliath. It was God against Goliath. God was not on David's side because he was an underdog, but instead because David trusted in God completely. In fact, in this story, David, as opposed to some sort of champion, really should be viewed as a model of faith. A model of faith and trust for all of us who face obstacles that we think we can never overcome. Traumas that threaten to take us down or stresses in life that worry us, sometimes literally to death. David felt God's presence in his life from the moment he was born. His boldness stands out amidst a whole field of an army who was shaking in their boots, sometimes quite literally. His brothers probably thought as David showed up, oh, he's just coming to, to gawk at the carnage. And, and David, David's uh, uh, confidence was never, for David, confidence was never a problem. You can imagine they thought, oh, here, here's this one who was just anointed king coming out to, to watch us. But David comes not to be a spectator. David came to be a participant. And even to the king, the, the current king at that point, he says, do not lose heart, Saul. I will go and fight the Philistine. So for these reasons, David was prepared. David remained true to himself. And he knew that God was with him. David was anything but an underdog here. In fact, in fact, you may have guessed who the true underdog was in this story. The underdog in the story is Goliath. He was the one against whom the odds were stacked. Because the battle here is not David versus Goliath. The battle here, as I said just a moment ago, is between God and Goliath. Poor little Goliath was the real underdog when he stood against the God of the universe. He wasn't fighting against little David. He was really going up against God and he didn't even realize it. We could even say he didn't even know very literally what hit him until it was too late. David, as opposed to the underdog champion, David, is really just a tool in the hands of God. This isn't a story about little David's triumph over the big giant against all odds. It's, it's way more than that. It's a statement of theology. It's a statement about who God is and about God's strength over everything that seeks to bring us down. God is the main actor who drives this story, while Goliath 
represents evil and sin and all the destructive practices that we are called to fight against sometimes in our own hearts. The good news is, the best news is of this story, that we are not fighting by ourselves. That we're not equipped with just a couple of stones and a slingshot and a wish for the best of luck. God is fighting in us and through us as long as we trust God to join our battle. In the end, in the end, victory is assured and God will have his way. We see it most clearly on the cross all the way from David, follow his line of, uh, his lineage all the way down to the Lord Jesus himself. When evil seems to finally have won the day once and for all as Jesus hangs on the cross. And then when you least expect it, in the quietness of a Sunday morning in a graveyard, resurrection happens. Evil may keep trying to beat us down, but no matter how hard it tries, Christ is victorious. In the face of Christ, evil doesn't stand a chance. And as people of Christ, we are never the underdog. Oh Lord, we thank you for the promise of your scripture, for the inspiration it provides us to continue in the battle, knowing that the battle is ultimately yours. So, Lord, whatever it is that we face over these next few days or weeks, we thank you for the promise of this story and the promise of your presence with us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.